Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, my name is Jenny Rooney, Chief Experience Officer and host of Adweek's Marketing Vanguard podcast. We're so excited to bring you insightful content from key marketing leaders and thinkers. Together, we'll dive into discussions with CMOs and other C-suite executives who are tasked daily with making decisions that in incremental or monumental ways move the needle for their brands, their companies, and the customers they serve. In each episode, we'll focus on one key idea or decision, why they made it, what it caused, whether it worked, and how it has defined the person as a business leader. We also address missteps, poor choices, and gambles, as mistakes, of course, often yield the greatest knowledge. Also, we'll ask each guest to share the names of the people they rely on daily, as well as a recommendation for who we should interview next. I so look forward to sharing these conversations with all of you. Together, we'll tell a new narrative about the power of marketing leadership in driving business growth. Looking forward to having you join us soon. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney with Adweek, and I'm so thrilled to be here today with Raja. Raja Manar, uh, Raja, welcome. Thank you so much, Jenny. Absolutely a pleasure always interacting with you. Thank you for having me here. Oh, absolutely. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, You and I have known each other for quite some time now. And so um, while you need no introduction in this industry, um, I will obviously, of course, um, share that you are the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and President of Healthcare at MasterCard. Uh, not to mention so many other accolades, um, you know, a marketing hall of fame, 2023 inductee, um, uh, sitting on so many boards and have been just such an incredible leader in this industry for, for years. Um, listen, I, I have a script that I usually uh, ask people when they come on to the, the Marketing Vanguard podcast, but I just felt, Raja, with you, I needed to go off script and do something okay. a little <laughs> bit different. So... We're, we're going to have a little bit of fun with it. Um, you okay. know, you listen, you've been interviewed so much and, and frankly, you interview people. So let's just start with that. I mean, you know, I know that you've spent a lot of your time lately um, just being out there and engaging with folks um, through your own interviews. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, why you're doing that and sort of what phase in your career you feel like you're in right now. Yeah. See, uh, from my perspective, one of the things which gives me the greatest joy is to keep exploring and even creating the frontiers of marketing. So I wrote a book, Quantum Marketing, as you know, which went on to become a Wall Street Journal bestseller. But equally, it got now published in 10 languages around the world. It has become a bestseller in multiple countries. 
and being taught at 300 universities around the world. And that gives me immense amount of joy. So as an extension of that book, what I started doing was to write a newsletter on my LinkedIn uh, uh, link, which is basically, I call it Marketing Sense. And that started doing unexpectedly quite well for me. So right now, I believe there are close to about 125,000 subscribers to it. Wow. Uh, which is not too bad at all. And I don't do any paid advertising or paid media for that. It's totally organic. So that gave me tremendous amount of joy. I said, okay, let me take it to the next level and do LinkedIn live sessions. So in addition to just talking about what I think, it'll be great to see what others think and let the audience benefit from the best of both their thinkings. And that's what I started to do. And I had interviewed a bunch of CMOs, my peers, uh, and some academicians and some industry experts, subject matter experts. And frankly, it gives me a ton of joy when I'm doing all those. I have a full-time job, obviously, so that cannot be a full-time job in itself. But I try to do at least one interview every month. And that's the cadence I have been maintaining. It gives me tremendous joy. I love it. I love it so much because I think, you know, I love this concept of continually learning and you're, you're, you're just a lifelong learner. And the fact that you're being able to sort of engage with folks and share your knowledge, even as you're learning from them is just, um, you know, I think it's such a testament to who you are as a leader. So I appreciate that immensely. Yeah, in fact, on that, if I can just make one comment, you know, it, it's pretty uh, uh, something which came right from my childhood. My mom grew up in a very conservative household way back in India. And she did not have the opportunity to study in a formal school beyond grade six. Because in those days, boys and girls were not allowed to go to the same school in the part of India that we were in. And there were no schools for girls. And she used to regret it quite much. And uh, apparently she cried for months because she didn't have the opportunity. But then she went on to do her own self-study and then uh, learned whatever she did. So when we came along, me and my sister, she would tell us, you don't know how valuable and what a gift learning is. You have the privilege to learn. And she would sort of literally make learning as a blessing as opposed to, oh, something you have to do. It's a chore. And that sort of got built into my DNA right from a childhood. And right now, I follow that same thing, which is you know, every week, uh, or weekend rather, I spend at least five to five and a half hours dedicated purely for learning. Mm. And I that, that's like self-indulgence for me. I love that. And I love hearing the history and sort of the, the root of that for you. Um, you know, I think obviously, and if you're in the marketing advertising brand industry, you have to think of learning as the end in and of itself. It isn't a means to an end, really, because this, this industry is continually shifting, changing, morphing, which you obviously have chronicled and you've watched and you've written the book about it and you know you talk about it. Um, but learning is the whole point of this industry. Anybody who's in it has to have sort of a tough skin and be able to understand that nothing that was here yesterday is necessarily going to be here tomorrow. So that takes a learning process at every Absolutely. step. So let's talk about that. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, fundamentally, Raja, why do you care about marketing? There's so many other things, arguably, you know, look at you have what a is it a chemical engineering background? Is that was that yeah. the yeah. The, edu the education you had? You have an MBA. Um, you know, why marketing? Why? And why do you continue to, to be such a champion of it? Um, it in industry know, and in business? I keep saying that I'm an accidental marketeer. 
And, uh, you know, while I was doing my chemical engineering, I was very passionate about the environment. And I wanted to therefore specialize in environmental engineering, which I did. Mm. And I topped my university and I had gold medal and all the good stuff academically. I thought I'll pursue my career in the same direction. And when I joined my MBA program at the Indian Institute of Management in Bangalore, I actually enrolled for environmental management as my area of specialization. Oh, wow. And that's when, in the between the first and the second years, I had an internship project or opportunity with a color cosmetics company in India called LACME. And because of my engineering background, my project was on logistics because they had large number of SKUs and they wanted to find some efficient ways of doing it. So I was doing my project and one of those afternoons, I was sitting outside the cubicle in which my boss used to sit and I overheard the conversation between him and the advertising agency. And they were talking about in those days in India, there used to be a taboo about using cosmetic, color cosmetics. So if a woman was using color cosmetics, she was apparently trying to draw attention to herself, mm. which means she is not of a great moral character. And that used to prevail uh, pretty significantly in South India at that time. And they were trying to see how to break the taboo. And they had a campaign which said something like, if music be to melody, what if melody be to music, what color is to beauty play on? That was their campaign. <coughs> I looked at it and said, what the hell does it even mean? <laughs> it, <laughs> it was too complex for me. So I said, why are they making life difficult? So I just took a piece of paper and I started writing on it. I said, is it bad to look good? And then I just wrote a small story below that and put a picture, cut it, and then uh, took it to his uh, cubicle. And I say, hey, what do you think about this? He liked it, and it so happened that the chairperson, uh, Mr. Simone Tata, was in that branch in Bangalore at that time. So she loved it, and then they went and released it as a campaign, and it went on to become a big success. That gave me a tremendous amount of motivation and made me wonder, maybe I'm actually going to be good at marketing. And uh, I said, let me actually try it out. And I started taking a few marketing courses in the second year, and I loved them. And I said, well, this is the career I want to be in, not environmental management. Mm. And that was a career shift immediately. And now, three decades later, I'm still in marketing and I thoroughly enjoy every single day. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it so much, you know, um, the um, the effects that it can have, obviously, certainly on business, and that's that's so fundamental, but in so many other ways, and obviously the you know, the, um, the catalog of work that you, that you've done, um, the tapping into culture, the tapping into new and emerging artists, the things you've done with priceless, you know, um, the things you've done with exploring new technologies and, um, you know, ways of integrating, 
um, sonic branding. I mean, it's just Web3. I mean, the list goes on. How do you sort of temper, you know, as you think about sort of the fundamental need to drive the MasterCard business, you know, balancing that with all the innovation that you arguably have have led in your organization, you know, how do you think about that balance and sort of what's the, you know, what's the best advice you would give to anybody who, because you've made a career, you've made a reputation on being able to push boundaries, but that's not always easy, obviously. There's a lot of risk involved in that. Yeah. So a couple of things. First and foremost, there are quite a few shiny pennies that come your way every single day. You get ideas, you get thoughts, you get pitched. There can be so many things that you can do. And as I said, they all seem to be very attractive, very interesting, very novel. And what I think you have to, number one, resist the temptation to jump onto the most glamorous ones. It's not for the sake of glamour that you do. You need to have, firstly, a path to scale. So if you take an idea, the first question I ask myself is, is this idea, firstly, relevant to my consumers? Is it relevant to my one of the three key objectives I have? Does it build or enhance my brand? Does it drive my business? Or does it build competitive advantage? These are the three dimensions. Can it do it? And can it do it at scale? If that is the case, I need to have a hypothesis and I have got my parameters. So we try them, we test them. If they work, we scale them. If they don't work, we kill them dispassionately and move to the next idea. But having these ideas constantly in the pipeline is very critical. Now, typically I would say that between three and 5% of the marketing budget is set aside these experimentation kind of products. And that really helps that you don't go crazy blowing up all your good money behind ideas that are as yet unproven. So this is one part of it. The second thing I also would say is that you need to have the discipline as a marketer to clearly demonstrate a causal relationship between your marketing actions and the business outcomes. Otherwise, what happens is when these ideas are a little edgy, they're a little unusual to your company, you can be seen as being a creative maverick who is not connected to the business Mm -hmm. and just sort of trying out various hobbies. Or worse, it might be seen that this is all fluff and you're wasting company's money. So the key thing is that discipline to make sure that you have a robust, quantifiable, tangible Uh, causal relationship established, that I do this, this is what it does to my business, to my brand, to my competitive advantage, is very critical. So we spend time modeling those out. And the last point I would say is that when you are trying quite a few new things and they are edgy, there is always a level of conservatism in every organization. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is I try to bring in my CEO and the other C-suite executives into the process very early on. And when I do it, what happens is it becomes our idea as opposed to the marketing guys have come up with some crazy idea. So when you have the sponsorship and support from your C-suite peers, life becomes much easier. Yes, and that's that was going to be my next question, which, you know, your C-suite collaboration has been a hallmark of your leadership. Um, explain the why. And I know people talk about this, frankly, a lot, but I do think there's something super unique in the relationship you have with your CEO and how that's powered you. And frankly, how therefore you've been able to power the organization forward. 
Talk a little bit about more about those dynamics and why they're so important. Yeah. See, roughly half of my career, I spent managing P&Ls and businesses. And even a company like Diners Club, I used to manage that company. I was the chairman and CEO of the company. What I have found out was that many times when you're running a business P&L or running a business, you're focused on your results very sharply. And I used to have marketing people reporting to me. And when I would ask them, you're spending tens of millions of dollars, what exactly is it doing for the business? Most often I would get the looks of a deer caught in headlights. They're struggling to give credible answers on the one hand. And number two, they cannot connect the dots between marketing actions and business outcomes credibly. They very quickly revert to their marketing jargon or things which are important for a marketer like, you know, it improved my brand perception, my brand ranking, my brand valuation, my brand preference, whatever. But then as a business head, I said, that is good. But what is it doing to the business? Yeah. Now, when I reversed my role and I came into the marketing side, I said, one of the first things I need to do is to establish the credibility and gravitas for marketing as a function with the C-suite. Part of it might mean educating them. Part of it might mean listening to their feedback and acting on it. Like, for example, when I joined MasterCard, the CEO of the the CFO of the company, chief finance officer, she said, Raja, all this money, I don't know where it goes Mm. because you got a massive budget. And I said, how do you not know? She said, I don't know. You guys never shared it with me. So what I did was I appointed with her blessings a CFO for marketing residing in marketing, dual reporting into her and to me. What that does is I'm suddenly telling, I don't have anything to hide. I'm open kimono. Let's put a person that you trust in my organization who will do all the financial analysis and everything report back to you. Mm. That instantly built phenomenal trust. And we have that same model till now, even after she moved on and the new CFO came. There is credibility and trust. And they know they have line of sight into where money is going. And if you ask me today, My CFO has got spreadsheets and databases which show where every single dollar is spent, Mm. country by country, region by region, product by product, service by service. There is a tremendous amount of robustness about it, which helps quite a lot. So this is one part of it. Second thing, marketing is getting increasingly technology driven. Yeah. Now what we have is marketers, you have to therefore have your MarTech stacks. And you have got all these technology stacks. But you also have a chief technology officer. Now, I'm not a technology expert. So I reach out to my chief technology officer. He's actually called CIO. So I go to him and say, hey, Ed, I need your help. Mm. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. So now, in fact, just today we announced the the new person. um, We have over the years had a person who was heading up technology for marketing, sitting in marketing, but also reporting to the chief technology officer, or the chief information officer. Mm-hmm. And today we have just, you know, I had a change and a new person has been announced. So I've got this, the representative of the technology in my area. I have got human resources helping me. Yeah. So one of my best partners in the company is a human resources person because I want marketing talent to be attracted the right way with the right compensation. Their jobs should be leveled at the right level, comparable to their other peers in the organization. And if there are any inequities, they have to be set right. And training and development, and you just opened the whole podcast about learning and how things are changing. So learning and development 
is a very, very crucial part of our uh, talent planning and talent development. So all these when I have, it becomes imperative that I cannot do everything myself and sitting on my own island. I have to be collaborating and cooperating with my peers, co-opt them into marketing, and then share the joy and success with them. Mm-hmm. And that really makes such a huge difference. And quite interestingly, many times, many of the uh, obstacles that you normally encounter, internal bureaucracy, etc., that disappears when you have your C-suite executives on, uh, the, on the same page with you. So much so this time at Can Lions, I took my CFO and we both were on the main stage at Can Lions and we did a, uh, a keynote there talking about the healthy tension between the CMO and the CFO. You know, and he was there with me on the stage in front of all the marketing crowd and we got a fantastic relationship and which is based on trust and, and mutual respect. So this is how I have been sort of building over the years and it, it, it stood me and my department in very good stead. Yeah, I mean, again, collaboration is what you've employed in your organization to such an extent. But, you know, but where other people talk about it, you've actually you've actually done it. Um, Can you talk a little bit about um, kind of the the current tranche, if you will, of, of, of marketing leaders, CMOs who, you know, I think if we track back decades, right, we've seen marketing leadership itself and the CMO role continue to evolve. Are there things you're seeing about perhaps the more recent generation of CMOs um, as compared to some from decades previous that give you, get you excited and that you're happy about, but they also give you concern and give you pause? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. See, I, I think the classical CMOs from the yesteryear, they were fantastic on areas like psychology, sociology, anthropology, brand, design, all the softer aspects of marketing, which are very critical. And they used to excel at it. And the new generation are much more left-brained. They are logical. They are performance marketing oriented. They are measuring ROIs with the discipline. They are very tech savvy. They are data savvy. And that's something which which is where marketing is heading more and more towards. So I'm very excited about the new, uh, I would say, uh, genre of CMOs who are coming on, which is fantastic. And I feel very good about it. And that's what is really needed in this day and age as marketing is coming into what I call as the fifth paradigm. But also the problem is the new generation of CMOs while they are very savvy on the quantitative aspects and the technology and data, they are a little lighter on areas like psychology or sociology or anthropology or design, etc., or the branding aspects. And what is increasingly critical in future when the marketing landscape gets leveled because of technology. Technology is a great leveler of competition. Yes. Yeah. The differentiation is going to come from innovation and creativity. 100%. So you need you need a combination of yesterday's competencies with tomorrow's competencies. In other words, you need Leonardo da Vinci people type of people who are not easy to come by. No. But then it is build Leonardo da Vinci type of teams. Yeah. So what gives me the pause is today there is an over pivoting to that left brain approach, and I think marketing is becoming more logical, brute technology and data power, etc. Whereas marketing should also be about magical 
uh, and you know it is not logical but it is lateral and not linear so i think it's a beautiful uh, how do you say cusp that we are in as to how things are actually moving and i think we have the opportunity to shape that future very well and honestly no single uh, cmo will be competent end to end across all aspects of marketing and i think therefore their emphasis has to be on building teams which are damn good at both these but as a cmo sponsor both the people mm. both the groups of people that's very critical make each one feel equally important not that you prefer marketing performance marketing more and the qualitative older aspects of marketing are important or vice versa that then you will lose out the good talent okay so i got this leads me to the next question you and i both have a passion for you know we've both engaged with business schools and sort in you know bending in classrooms and engaged with heads of marketing departments and and frankly with the students right at the mba <laughs> level and in some cases at the undergraduate level and um i'm always fascinated with the question that i i continue to to ask myself is how does curriculum have to change and evolve at the at the university business school level and perhaps even earlier on um to really sort of set the next generation of marketers up for success and i have to think that you have some very strong opinions in this regard i i do uh not surprisingly i guess the reality is what is being taught in business schools is quite obsolete right it is not reflecting the reality on the ground today forget about even tomorrow even today many of the business schools teach the four p's of marketing the reality is today most of the cmos don't handle all the four p's of marketing there is a chief product officer who is separate then you are talking about distribution is completely separate from marketing which is the place second p as far as packaging is concerned where the product people pricing is done by finance or sales people so marketing is becoming more and more confined and limited to one of the four p's yeah. so why are we teaching for all the four p's many of the models like idas awareness interest desire action satisfaction those kind of models are actually collapsing and in fact many of the classical theories and philosophies that were uh, practiced till yesterday are not valid and relevant today i had this discussions with multiple professors around the world Hmm. Uh, at various business schools, including Harvard, Yale, you know, NYU, Columbia, call it whatever, and uh, actually, I feel very good that I had discussions with Harvard Business School, and they uh, appreciated my inputs and actually wrote back to me saying that thank you for your inputs, and you'll be delighted to see that our curriculum has actually now changed, partly based on your uh, inputs, but of course there are so many other people who would have contributed to their thinking, and I would, uh, you know. uh uh not like to attribute it to myself in any case but i'm so delighted they don't teach four pieces of marketing anymore mm. they have completely changed the marketing curriculum so this is one part of it and and harvard when it does something there are many other colleges and universities which follow that's number one number two the professors uh and the lecturers who teach at these schools many of them have come from the industry but they left the industry quite some time back yeah they they need to upgrade and they need to understand what is it to be a marketer today in the real world so one of the things which in fact i started doing was to invite some of the professors to come and shadow me oh it's so great yeah they are just on a on the you know observing mode they sign of course their lives away with non disclosure agreements and all that stuff i love that um 
and there's so much more there that if we had time, you know, I would want to talk about. So we'll, we'll have to table that for another time, but we'll have to have that conversation. Raja, thank you so much. As always, it's a pleasure speaking with you and I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibney at Boutwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.